Fourteen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two hundred and ten of Forty Going On Fourteen. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And I just need to clarify: we don't all float down here. Some of us need to doggy paddle and kick a little. <laughs> Some of us with high body fat percentages, we definitely float. <laughs> yeah, we float. <laughs> yeah. Gotta love the floaters. Ew. What? <laughs> so we're uh, going to be talking about the biggest horror movie ever. Yeah. So we're going to call spoilers right now on pretty much everything that we talk about from this point on. <laughs> you just ruined Joel's fun. I know. <laughs> oh, that's a spoiler. Aww. It's a clown. Um. So, yeah. Oh, we all float. He's here to amuse you. <laughs> Well, if you enjoy being amused, maybe you'd like the podcast on the amazing Podcast Collective Network, such as No Hope for Humanity, Dating Baggage, I Am Salt Lake, the Portland Beer Club podcast, and of course, the Rad Dad Radio Hour. Yep. And if you're looking for our older stuff, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Talk Show, Podverse FM, and other fine podcasting directories across mm-hmm. the interwebs. Red Dead Radio Hour. I'm going on 210 shows and still have not listened to the internet with Scott the Pool Boy. I'm going to start sending it. Does he have a voicemail number? Yes, we do. No, no, wait. No, does Scott the Pool Boy Boy have one is what he's asking. Oh, I don't know. He's going to call and leave him random messages about how he's not listening to his show. Yeah, I'm just going to call him and leave him. I really enjoyed your last week's show and I feel that... uh, Doberman pinchers have no place in this country's polka halls. I don't know what that means. But uh, if you want to call us, leave us, us a voicemail. <laughs> call us at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Don't leave us voicemails about Doberman pinchers and shit. No, you could just tell Scott the Pool Boy. I was on chat roulette for 15 hours, and I saw 91 penises and not one Scott the Pool Boy. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, I was just going to say, hundred percent on that. Ninety-one penises, but a Scott ain't one. I got ninety-nine. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. All right. Do we have any voicemail feedback? We have no voicemail. Oh, Uh, it's been a a light, light couple of weeks for listener feedback. You nobody likes us. Talk back to us. We don't know. We're shouting out into the ether. Let us know we exist. Give us reason. Give us a reason to live. Otherwise, we will uh, encourage Joel to commit Harikiri with a paper crane. That's going to take a long time. Better get started. All right. I'm going to start <laughs> folding first. He'll make a podcast about it. <laughs> My Day paper 30. death. Day 37, I am one quarter inch in. <laughs> Where I originally started has already healed. so <laughs> The paper's just stuck now. <laughs> Uh, about that time? Oh yeah, it's about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. And sports down here. <laughs> we all, they all sports down, down here. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's better than I came up with. Good job. <laughs> that's because he's funnier. <laughs> Well, I'm a professional. Don't forget. That's true. He's a professional funny guy. In Joel's defense, he's folding paper cranes. <laughs> he's what? preoccupied. I'm sorry. Origami was taking up my time. Sorry. 
So we are working with November 18th, 1990, the release of the episode one of the miniseries It. On... By Fabergé. Yes. Smell like Tim Curry. <laughs> it's not by Fabergé. Music. The top ten songs in the land are I'm Your Baby Tonight by Whitney Houston, More Than Words Can Say by Alias, and number one is Love Takes Time by Mariah Carey. What are the other seven? I don't know. But the no, he has to tell us now because he said the top ten songs. Oh, did I? Did? Yes. Oh, oh, I didn't type ten in there. Uh, no, I'm you a... didn't. What are the other seven, Joel? Uh, <laughs> those were the three best. I'm not sure I want to hear the rest of the list. Dino's "I Like It." Um, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, okay, that's worse. Rico Suave by Gerardo. <laughs> I... uh, Phil Collins, that song that he wrote. I, I listened to more than words can say, and it's not the song I thought it was. Hanson's Mbop. We did start the fire by Billy Joel. Yeah, more than no, you're thinking of extreme more that, than words. That's what I was that was saying. a good song. That was yeah. yeah this is not a more good song. more than words can say. Not a good song. No, that's why they didn't have a name. They were just an alias. No, it was by the cast of the Jennifer Garner show. <laughs> uh, oh, I might have liked that then. I don't <laughs> Fuck. Know. I never watched that show. Anyway. <laughs> November 21st, Mick Jagger marries Jerry Hall in a Hindu ceremony in Bali. They had been dating since 1977, ignoring the fact that Mick had gotten married to someone else in 1976. Their common law marriage was eventually declared invalid by the High Court of England in 1999, and they split up the same year with Hall claiming that Mick Jagger's infidelity was the reason. He was too busy sleeping with David Bowie. Dude. Dude. We're on fire! <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. On November 15th, producer Frank Farian admitted to the press for the first time that Millie Vanilli did not write their hit songs. Their Grammys were stripped from them four days later, and one of them was absorbed several years after that. No, they, the word is, is uh, sing. sing their hit songs, not yeah. right. Yeah. A lot, a lot of artists didn't write their own songs. And, oh. And the, uh, that would make some sense if the word sing had any of the same letters as right in it <laughs> you had the mic syndrome where you're just changing words and adding words and skipping words <laughs> i think it was one of the other 10 songs that were on the list <laughs> by they law, didn't write any of those either by law of averages there is at least one person out there with a millie vanilli tattoo yeah yeah Ooh. Oh, how great would that be daddy what's that tattoo mean <laughs> that tattoo says bad decisions oh that's uh, <laughs> That's uh, two different pictures of two chains. <laughs> uh, now I'm, I'm hearing Millie Vanilli, Millie Vanilli songs in my head. Girl, you know what? A milkshake, too. Um, anyway, David Crosby was hospitalized on November 19th after breaking his left leg and ankle and his shoulder after losing control of his Harley and sliding 40 feet on the pavement. He was not absorbed. No, he was not. Somehow. Exactly. Is he, is he that man has to do so much. It's ridiculous. In an interview once I heard him, he said uh, that he has done more drugs than anybody that he knows and lived. <laughs> He's like, anybody that did more drugs than me, they all died of overdoses. He's still alive. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's insane. All right. Moving on to movies. This week sees the release of such classics as Home Alone, Rocky Five, and The Rescuers Down Under. Home Alone becomes the highest grossing comedy of all time until Misery is released. 
Okay, now well, I should have read that ahead. That, no, there's no one, a reason that's there. It's not that a, surprised me. Now, Joel and I were paging through the releases on this. Misery is listed as a what was it, Joel? A horror comedy? A dark comedy. Dark comedy. Do you recall any? I think dark comedy. I think David Fincher type stuff. You know, it's it is. Do you remember any funny parts of Misery? Am I just thinking wrong? No, there's not anything really funny about Misery. Okay. No, nothing at all. Okay, just clarifying. It's been a while since I've seen it. But I don't know. James Conn's ankles swinging back and forth is pretty hysterical. <laughs> it's it's all pretty much like horror and suspense and and thriller and and tense. Yeah, that's why I put that in there because I wanted to make sure we talked about that because Mike and I were like, um, did they watch a different movie? Because I don't remember that. Crazy Town. All right, on November 23rd, 1990, Roald Dahl succumbs to the giant peach and dies at the age of 74 of a rare cancer of the blood, myelidysplastic syndrome. And was absorbed. Man did not deserve that. Sucks. What a way to go, man. I mean, seriously, if you're going to get cancer, why that one? Well, it's it's incredibly rare. So, well, you don't get to choose your cancer. No, you know that, right? I mean, it's not like yeah, it's not like opening a pack of magic magic cards. Oh, look at the rare. I, I don't know. If cigarettes have anything to say? At least I have a few like strong words. <laughs> <laughs> like, Ooh, I got a rare lymphoma. I've got a Nicole Bolas. <laughs> Screw oh, you guys! I chose my, lungs. In my lungs. <laughs> All right. As we struggle to make cancer funny. Yeah. Uh, TV. The top shows are Cheers. Oh, I've done it. Yeah. Well, yeah. What do you have? Cheers. 60 Minutes, Roseanne, and A Different World. It's kind of a grab bag of stuff right there. Very 90s. Yeah. I don't know. It's like it's like the, the crossover between 90s and 80s. Because you've got Cheers and Roseanne. But Roseanne it, was 90s, I would say. You think so? Yeah. Early yeah. 90s. And that's the thing is this is 90, 1990, so. Yeah. It's like it's like the mystery flavors of the Dum Dum Pops when they change the flavors. Yeah. It's like a crossover. Dum Dum. <laughs> All right. The <laughs> passing of the torch occurs as Chris Farley, Tim Meadows, Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, Rob Schneider, and Julia Sweeney join the cast of Saturday Night Live. Three of the five went on to successful careers. One went on to a moderately successful career, and one just went on. Ew. Poor oh. Julia Sweeney. Yeah. Why don't she had I... a very funny uh, one-woman show for a while there. You mean like one woman showed up? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there are six names there. The math was driving me nuts. One, two, three... Well, Tim Meadows is still on Saturday Night Live, so he doesn't count. Is he really? I knew he was on forever. He just left like two years ago, finally. Uh, Oh, wow. All right. And Chris Farley no longer is alive. On uh, November 19th, the final episode of the Acronym of the Week, which is CNDRR, airs. Uh, Of course, that's Kathy Nudd's Dicks Really Retract. (laughs) What? (laughs) Okay. No, that's Chippendale Rescue Rangers. I don't know how ah. to react to that. You were so close, so close. <laughs> that's, that's a that's what I was going for. Retract that penis. That's what I'm telling you to do. Retractable penis. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. 
Proving that money can buy you anything, Arsenio Hall earns his star on Hollywood's Walk of Fame. Granted, he's a talented guy, so maybe it was warranted. Besides, it was the 90s. What did we know? Yeah, I was going to say, he, his show was like the biggest thing on TV right then. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely get... a, a Hollywood star now seems goofy. But yeah, at the time, it would have been like, oh, of course he's getting a Hollywood star. Now Plus everybody he... knows you can pretty much just buy your own Hollywood star anytime you want one. Plus he was uh, in uh, Coming to America. so Yeah, one of the funniest movies ever made. Got that going for him. That's high praise. Nice. Yes. Fuck you, too. <laughs> Man, that ain't nothing but Jerry Crow. <laughs> All right. November 19th stands in infamy as the WWF gains one of its greatest villains as Mark Willem- William Calloway enters the ring as The Undertaker. But it wouldn't be until later when he would throw mankind off the hell in the <laughs> cell and send him plunging 16 feet through an announcer's table. <laughs> Okay, I get why that's funny. <laughs> yep. There are some people out there who will get why that's funny. I could not. I, I had to. But don't let it distract you from the fact. It, I, it was a moral imperative to put that in there once I discovered that this is the day that he entered the ring. Yep. And he honestly, if I had to pick like a favorite wrestler like of all time, he would probably be my favorite. Yeah, I think I'm with you. What about Sting? I was going to say, I'm going to have to go back and listen to the wrestling show and see if that's true. Because <laughs> Hulk Hogan, I mean, for part of his career was kind of a joke, the whole Hollywood Hulk Hogan thing. So, I mean, but over his entire career, Undertaker has been top of the game. So, and just an amazing, great character. And kind of got to watch like his whole streak, you know, at WrestleMania throughout his whole career. So I would definitely go with him. Yeah, there you go. So sport. Sports, sports, that's me. Yeah, that's you. <laughs> I think he's talking to you. <laughs> On November 13th, the Oakland A's Bob Welch won the American League Cy Young Award. And on the 14th, Doug Drabeck of the Pittsburgh Pirates won the National League Cy Young Award. Yeah. And also in uh, end of the baseball season awards, on November 19th, the Pittsburgh Pirates' Barry Bonds won the National League MVP. And the following day, Ricky Henderson of the Oakland A's won the American League MVP. On November 20th, the NBA Sacramento Kings win their last game for what turned out to be over a year. Wait, they didn't win? Their last, um, sorry, their last road game. Is what it oh, is. So okay. They lost, they lost, they went 1-40 one year, and then the next year they went 1-40 again, and those two wins were over a year apart. Yikes. Yeah. They stunk. That's sports. There you go. And that's the tweet. Hooray for the twee. Play us off keyboard, Joel. No, 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 no. All right. So if you haven't heard, we've been under a rock for the last three and a half weeks or six months, depending on how when the hoo-ha started about this movie. It is the hottest movie out there right now. Yeah. Largest grossing horror film ever. Yeah. I'm not even sure how much money it has made this Ever, point. ever? Well, yeah, it crossed 500 million sometime last week, uh, eclipsing The Exorcist. Yeah. Well, is it is it horror movie or is it movie? horror movie? Horror movie. Okay. Let's see. Box office business. Where is it at right now? Opening weekend, it did 123 million dollars. As of the 10th of September, it did 189. Good God. October. As of October 1st, worldwide, it has done 555.9 million dollars. 
Yeah, I had a lot of uh, hopes writing on this movie, as uh, you're going to hear from me a lot. This this is a book that was pretty important to me. It might be Stephen King's best book. It's definitely in my top three horror novels of all time. And uh, depending on the day, it might even take the top spot. It's, it is definitely one of his better books. I think it's one of those that he doesn't remember writing also. I know that there's several that I think like um, Cujo. He definitely doesn't remember right. Yeah, Cujo. Oh, he yeah, he was in a coked out haze for a yeah. few years. Yeah, but uh, hey, that, that's some serious talent. Like you could write a, a, a top ten selling book and just not even not even recall it. Well, and this one is eleven hundred pages. That's in paperback, and uh, a lot of it w- was considered to be unfilmable. And even if you cut the unfilmable parts, I mean, a, a true retelling would probably take a season on HBO, maybe two. Yeah, that's a lot of book. More than more than two miniseries, that's for sure. Yes. So yeah, the first time they tried to adapt it was in nineteen ninety. Mm-hmm. With a miniseries, which uh, I guess we'll talk about now. Yeah, so this one's set in <laughs> 1960. So. Uh, <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> now, is the full miniseries the three hours? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I, the way it ended, I was like, I'm not sure if I watched all of it. <laughs> yeah, Mike was talking about a part one and a part two. And when I saw it again this time, uh, my copy wasn't broken up either. It was just one long three hour thing. Yeah, that's, that's what I had. Too. Yeah, mine was broken up, but it took me a while to find it. Because I, I, how many DVDs nowadays do you flip over to watch the second half? Right. That <laughs> was really kind of confusing because it ended at the the old time. And I thought I only had one one DVD of it. But um, so this is set in 1960. Seven preteen outcasts fight an evil demon who possesses or poses as a child killing clown. Thirty years later, they reunite to stop the demon once and for all when it returns to their hometown. Dun, so, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> This is directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, who is known for other things such as Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, we know, which we know Joel is a huge fan of. I do love that movie. and yes. So do I. Yep. And uh, he did Fright Night Part 2. And actually, he did a couple episodes of Max Headroom in Twilight Zone also. So uh, he had, you know, he got some freaky movies in his pants He's before he got up to settled this. in as being a sequel director. If you look at his list of credits, they all are sequels. There's not a lot of original content. No. But, well, hey, do what you're good at. Something called Helliversity now, which I'm not entirely sure about. Um, teleplay written by, obviously, Tommy Lee Wallace and Lawrence Cohen, which initially I got all excited about and then realized it wasn't that Cohen. Uh, but he is the guy who wrote uh, Carrie for the movies and uh tommy knockers also did some stuff for uh he's done a lot of uh stephen king stuff so some more stephen king adaptations yeah yeah it uh he did the screenplay to ghost story which i think we need to do a, a show on ghost movies uh also did one episode of nightmares and dreamscapes the tv miniseries miniseries from the stephen king books and the last thing he did was the 2013 carry so so lots of stephen king yeah Find your wheelhouse. Right. This starred uh, Harry Anderson as a <laughs> older Richie Dozer back when Harry Anderson was a thing. When he was um, hanging out with Arsenio Hall. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dennis Christopher as Eddie Kasprak, 
Richard Messer, Mazur? Mauser. Mauser. Richard Mauser as Stanley Uris. Annette O'Toole as Beverly Marsh. Yeah. Tim Reed as Mike Hanlon. John Ritter as Ben Hanscom. <laughs> Richard Thomas as Bill Denborough. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Come on. Yeah, he's not an awesome actor. How, how can you be? Uh, it's John Boy. I found it very funny that they, they cast two people as the same character who both overact and and emote way too much and try way too hard when they're acting. Well, they I wanted to punch him in the ponytail. At least both their characters, you know, were kind of in tune with each other because Jonathan Brandis and and Richard Thomas both kind of act exactly as badly as each other. Jonathan Brandis no longer is with us. Yeah, I know. He acted he out, out, of, out of this world. Too. Yeah. So uh, Tim Curry has Pennywise. Jonathan Brandis as young Bill Denborough. Brandon Crane as young Ben Hanscom. Adam Faralzi as Eddie Krasback as age 12. Seth Green. Who? I know, right? Yeah. As Richie Tozer playing a uh, ham-fisted comedian in his youth, and apparently that stuck. So uh, Ben Heller as Stanley Uris as age 12. Emily Perkins, Beverly Marsh. Marilyn Taylor as the... Uh, Mike Hanlon. Marlon Taylor. Marlon Taylor, sorry. Olivia Hussey as Aura Denborough as um, John Boy's wife, who should just stayed home. See what happens? You lose your memory until you ride a bike. Right. Because that made sense. So if I lose my memory, I'll never get it back. You can't ride a bike? No, that's a very well-known fact. Look Ob- at my Wikipedia page. Obviously not. <laughs> All right, so trivia. On the DVD commentary track, the actors note that Tim Curry's characterization of Pennywise so creepy that everyone avoided him during the filming. Unfortunately, just... he wasn't in makeup yet, and they were just kind of like... Right, so there's just Tim Curry. <laughs> Stay over there, Tim. Uh, Tommy Lee Wallace felt that the part two of the miniseries wasn't as good as part one because the adults weren't as magnetic to watch, especially when it came time to battle Pennywise. I would concur with that. I would agree. Yes. Uh, The blood oozing over Georgie's photo was quite unusual to see for a TV movie in 1990, and it paved the way for TV movies and miniseries to push the envelope further than ever before. Huh. It did feel a little bit gory to me when I was watching it. I'm like, because the rest of it felt a little bit like a a soap opera kind of atmosphere. And Mm -hmm. then when that happened, I'm like, whoa, okay. And then to change things up, Alice Cooper was considered for the role of Pennywise. Interesting. Uh, but he was like, I'll bring my own makeup. <laughs> and my own parts. Right. And some oh, cute tease. I'll bring my own child parts. Ooh. So has this been the first viewing for any of us? Yes. Really? Yes. No. Yeah. Not for me. Or me. Yeah, I have it on DVD. Not sure why. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of talk when uh, casting for the new one came out, uh, and they're like, "Bill Skarsgård, man, no, no one's ever going to top Tim Curry." I'm like, when I heard that, I was like, "You haven't seen it recently, have you?" Yeah, it hasn't aged well. Well, and is your refrigerator running? You better go get it. That <laughs> <laughs> was. I am the destroyer of worlds and the eater of children. Little bit on the nose there, Pennywise. (laughs) 
very ham-fisted dialogue in this one. Well, and I kept trying to figure out why he was from New Jersey or something. <laughs> New Jersey cabbie. Yeah, I was like, because he's like, oh, we all float down here. I'm like, do you need like a pastrami on rye? It was the Is... 90s. Everybody was afraid of people from New Jersey. <laughs> they still are. <laughs> there were a series of just baffling script decisions through this. What they chose to keep without the context that made it make sense, like Mike mentioned, Audra on silver, finally regaining, coming out of her catatonia. Mm-hmm. Um, they silver. also made some weird changes that are explicitly the opposite of the way they were in the book. Example. Example. Uh, best example, and this is actually true for both of them, is it's made very, very clear in the book that the uh, postcard that Ben wrote his haiku on to Beverly Marsh was never discovered by her father. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It was explicit that if he'd ever found it, he probably would have put her in the hospital. Hmm. I wonder why they changed that. That's kind of important. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff like that where they I just. I guess I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I, 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 I think they would probably say that that that's just a really good way to emotionally target the viewers and automatically make him a bad guy very very quickly without having to do a whole lot of exposition. And maybe some of it was the menace of. Elvin Marsh was something that they were really uncomfortable. It's like, how far can we go with this on TV? Right. Well, and I've been wanting to ask since I saw it, because in, in the miniseries, it's a physical like threat, but in the, the movie, it was more of a sexual threat. So in the book, which is it? Well, in the book, it is physical, but it is heavily implied that a lot of the physicality comes from him not being able to deal with his daughter growing up and the fact that he kind of wants to molest her. Okay, he doesn't, but he's struggling but with the desire. It's probably coming later, once, you know, and that's why she's trying to hide that she's becoming a woman, because maybe he's going to see that as a green light. Well, I don't know that it's so much a green light. Like, he's he's having these urges, and he doesn't understand them, and he decides that he's instead of working them out, he's going to work them out with his fists. As apparently it was the way back then. As you were. As you would. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a sexual undertone to his abuse, but it may not be as overt. Well, we'll get to that in when we talk about the second one. All right. So this, I think, I well, like the trivia said, for the blood oozing out of the book scene and all this, I think they were trying to push what is acceptable or what you could do on TV for this time. But outside of that, I mean, I can't really think of anything except for maybe the uh, the fortune cookie scene with the bleeding fortune cookie, the eyeball fortune cookie. I think that's about as far as they got. Yeah, some of it, I, I, it almost felt like they were rushing through to hit every specific point in the book that they could both fit into three hours and get away with showing on TV, sometimes missing the point and sometimes removing the context from various scenes. So, well, I, I, I don't know. It's weird to sit for three hours and uh, watch a movie that isn't very well paced and still feel it was too short. I did read that they were like rushing to finish things up. So that may be part of it is that they, you know, they were running, coming up on a, on the, you know, having to shut everything down 
and they're trying to get as much in there as possible so that you may be right on that. Yeah, and it's just like, I, I know you've got three hours, and I know it's an 1,100-page book, but it's like, don't treat the book just like a checklist to randomly, like some things work on paper that can't possibly work on the screen. And unfortunately, like since their special effects budget wasn't that great, a lot of the stuff that uh, was supposed to be super scary just didn't work. Well, Tommy, they turned it more into like a Freddy the Krueger. Freddy the Krueger. Freddy the Krueger. Hi, I'm Freddy the Krueger. Welcome to oh, my world. Freddy oh. the Krueger. Yeah, that's great. But the, you know, it, it, was, it looked more like Freddy Krueger kind of gags more than anything. You know, because isn't like the whole Pennywise thing? He's more more like a psychological you know, fuck with you more than physically fuck with you before he kills you. Well, I, that's the thing is I, I think that him feeding on fear and driving his quarry to insanity before he actually devours their flesh is a big part of what this horrible ancient thing is. And they do go into that in the 2017 version. There is common sure. words of that, but in an interview with Tommy Lee Wallace, he did state he did not read the book before he started making the movie, which may explain everything. Well, yeah. and there were some parts that they could have taken the time that they used and spent it wisely elsewhere. Like the scene outside of the hospital where John Ritter and, and, uh, uh, Annette O'Toole are professing their love for each other in a very guiding light kind of way. And it's like, okay, this is three minutes too long. You know, I'd rather see more of other things going on that make are more important to the plot. And I agree with Pat about Freddy the Krueger because the uh, the fortune cookie scene definitely felt like something out of The Dream Child or some, you know, one of the later films. Well, and that uh, uh, Lawrence Cohen, there actually this comes up some point or another in there. I think they actually had something to do with that. There was some with Freddy. Yeah, I mean that's lifted straight out of the book, but once again, it's part of it was that in general, with some very rare exceptions, the actors were just not good. Well, I mean, it's. I think it does go back to what I said. The the guy who directed it, uh, Tommy Lee Wallace, had no clue what the book was about. He was just like, this is what it is. He went with it because it felt good, and he probably had people in suits telling him that specific scenes needed to be in it. And he said after he finished making it, he read the book and he was like, oh. <laughs> what the heck did I do? Uh, yeah, that's what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah, so that was a lot different than what we made. I don't Sometimes, I, I was talking to Sarah and she was asking how I was feeling about watching it because I didn't I remember not liking it when I first saw it very much because I was such a big fan of the book and I sat there and I was like sometimes I watch some of these movies for the podcast and I wonder if acting was discovered in about 2001 (laughs) (laughs) well and look at who they had I mean they were making a TV movie and they filled it with TV actors I mean there wasn't a lot of actors there that were huge in the film scene so, you know, they're they're thinking more little box mentality and not the big screen mentality in a mm-hmm. lot of cases. And some of them just weren't. I mean, John Ritter can do serious, but Harry Anderson. Eh. I, I agree. I honestly think that John Ritter was one of the few exceptions in in general. His scenes were pretty decent. Well, John, Ritter, uh, all the child actors kind of sucked. Yeah, they were all 
Have you heard of the phrase overacting? Do that. Uh, the bullies were straight out of an Archie comic. I'm For gonna, sure. I remember thinking of them as the Outsiders rejects. Yeah, I'm going to come down there and kick over your dam. <laughs> they were just like the, the goons from uh, Power Rangers. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they, had, they had their shit together a little bit better, but uh, they were they were like the Power Rangers goons. It was like, I'm going to kick over your dam and I'm going to hold this switchblade the wrong way. Yeah. And in general, like even Victor Chris and uh, Belch Huggins are supposed to be like the most terrifying bullies you could remember from your childhood. And Henry Bowers is supposed to be just beyond that. He's not just going to put you in the hospital. He probably will kill you if there are no adults around. And maybe even if there is one around. He's a definite psychopath. Oh, yeah. Definitely a psychopath. And that's that's one of the things I was I was thinking about the movie after finishing watching it and why every, everybody's so over the top and hammy and that sort of thing with the then is I think part of it and kind of carries over to the new one also is that this is kind of being told from a kid's point of view. You know, it's the it's the kid remembers the teacher from school or the neighbor next door or whatever that uh, was. I just couldn't believe that guy was going to kill me. You know, that sort of thing. He, you know, how... You remember things as a child and they get blown up in your head when you're as a kid and you remember this teacher as being this awful person. And then when you go back for your high school reunion, you're like, hey, you're only like five five feet tall, man. Why was I afraid of you? You know, that sort of thing. Um, I, I, I have a, a question that I've been wondering ever since I s- saw this a couple of weeks ago because I watched it the same night I watched the remake um, just because I had the time and I'm like, I'm going to watch this now. So in the book, once the creature that uh, feeds on fear and pretends to be a clown from Jersey. Is he a giant arachnid or is that just the television version of the character? Well, part of it is it's sort of like a Cthulian. Your mind can't really handle it. So the best you can do is vaguely insectile. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, a giant tick, a giant tick and lights I mean, the the deadlights, which I think are mentioned in the uh, 1990. Yes. Yeah. They do uh, that, yeah. that is a big feature. And I, I thought that like calling them out and making them look cheesy was way worse than not specifically naming them, but showing them better in the in the more recent film. Because we see the deadlights. Oh, we'll talk once again. Talk about that in the second half. Well, this one looked like a spaceship. Yeah, it was this weird, like, turtle, spider, dragon ship. It was just weird creature design. Well, and it just felt like, um, I don't know if any of you have ever seen the one of the, the Kevin Smith um, stand-up things he does where he tells stories, but he, he talks about the guy that um, he worked with on his take on Superman, where he kept talking about how he wanted a giant spider at the end. And then eventually he went on and made uh, Wild Wild West, and there's a giant spider at the end. So that's a great know, story. It is a great story, and and all I could think of when that part happened in the movie was I'm like, was he producing this or something? Because <laughs> there was a giant spider at the end, and I was like, have a giant spider. Exactly. I'm like, was that in the book? And so I guess that kind of answers the question. It just <laughs> kind of. It's, the problem is, is the confrontation in the book is almost literally unfilmable because a lot of it is psychic confrontation. Mm-hmm. And even if right. they did have the ability to uh, 
do those sort of effects back in 1990, I don't think the TV audience would be able to figure out what the hell was going on. Yeah, because a big point of uh, challenging it was a ritual that involved, well, as it's described, it sounds like it's something physical where the monster sticks out its tongue, you stick out your tongue, and you uh, both bite into the two tongues, stapling yourselves together and lock yourself in a contest of wills uh, to d- try and destroy one another. But it's not like literally sticking tongues out. It's more of a psychic thing. It's like I can feel its tongue and I latched on. Which would more- totally have flown in 1990. Why are they sucking each other's tongues? <laughs> because it's a Milli Vanilli video? I don't know what that means. I don't either. You're so, not- yeah, it's like I said, the way it's handled in the book is not filmable. So, they probably should have chosen something that is. You have to be pretty coked out to come up with like a biting tongue mind battle. Right. I mean, uh, uh, that sounds like some Japanese anime shit. I think it's actually based on uh, some sort of native peoples, whether it was Eskimo or just Native American. Tongue biting? Yeah. I I can't remember the specific culture it came from. Uh, might have been Tibetan or Himalayan in, in the book. Huh. So okay. Okay. So we should talk about uh, Tim Curry a little bit. Now, I, I have nothing against Tim Curry. I enjoy his body of work, but I I was not scared by his portrayal. I didn't get that sense of fear that I did in the the the, the retelling of the book. Um, he just, it, I don't know. I, I get I get its beloved character, but being the first time I saw it, I didn't quite get why. Well, I think now, did you see it uh, the remake first? Yes. Well, that's something. Yeah, because like you see him in the opposite direction. It's very, very clear that uh, as bad as it is, if you see them in the proper order, uh, the remake looks even worse if you see it after the new one. Once again, spoilers about my opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, my problem with Tim Curry was not that I didn't think he was scary because I thought he was, you know, it was plenty scary. It just I kept getting taken out because the entire time I just kept going like, yep, that's Tim Curry. Yep, doing his Tim Curry thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean like when he, when he was when he came to life in the photograph and everything was jumping on the light poles. And I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, all I was thinking was, man, that Tim Curry is talented. <laughs> he and does. don't get me wrong. I mean, I I was entertained and I, I like watching him work, but as a character, I I just I was trying to imagine seeing the two takes on it, how it was portrayed in the book. Uh, to where they got this version of it. And if he wouldn't have done the, the, the accent that he did, um, I think it would have been, a, uh, that, that part just kept throwing me off every time he did it. It was his tribute to Buster Poindexter. I guess so. See, I think uh, between, here's the thing, looking at his, his career, it was five years earlier that he did Clue and Legend in the same year. So I think everyone kind of remembered him from Legend as playing the Darkness, which was quite possibly one of the best costumes he's ever had. Uh, have, have you guys seen Legend? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. With the the horns. Brian Orange, scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then from that point on, he did a bunch of TV stuff, and 
the voice of Mr. Curry on Paddington Bear. So I think he came back with this and everybody, not many people, I don't think many people remembered that, well, knew that he was doing Mr. Curry on Paddington Bear and just remembered him as being the darkness in Wadsworth. And I don't know. I just, uh, he, I think he was not creepy because he was creepy. He was creepy because he was Tim Curry. Because they still had legend and you know sweet transvestite and all that still in their head. Sure. I don't know. I like Tim Curry. I'm giving him the benefit of a doubt on a lot of things. Yeah, and I and I like I said, I've enjoyed pretty much everything I've seen him in. So I mean, it's not like I have anything against him. It's just his characterization of it, whether I'd seen the other one or not. As a character, he's he's entertaining to watch because Tim Curry is very charismatic and it's kind of an iconic design. But as a villain in a, a horror film, he didn't have any. Uh, there was nothing there that brought fear, and it it, it felt like a TV movie, which it was. Mm-hmm. I I <clears throat> I think you were spoiled by seeing the first one first, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I'd already seen the first one, so it didn't bother me watching it. You know, the first one second. Well, no, he said he saw them in the correct order. He saw oh, the first one first. Yeah. Who, oh, who was it that saw them in the wrong order? No, I, I saw the. I saw the retelling first, the new one, and then oh, I saw you it. saw the new one first. Yes, yes yeah, I, oh, I watched okay. them in the same day. I watched one in the, the afternoon and one at night, but uh, yeah, I watched the 1991 second. Uh, okay, yeah, well, that definitely makes it even worse. But I, th- I think it was plenty scary. I mean, it's just it's you know again you know comparing them, it's it's almost it's like it's like comparing you know. Jack Nicholson's Joker to Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah, it was a different time. Different time, different everything. Yeah, makeup, different director, the whole thing. So it's two very different takes on the character, right? I no, I I definitely get that. I just, yeah, Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I definitely think you can see in whatever direction was given to Tim Curry that whoever was directing him hadn't read the books. It's like he's scary because he's saying scary stuff and he's a clown. But uh, he's definitely doesn't have that dancing on the line of whimsy and then turning just completely alien and unnerving on a dime the way he was in the book. And it seems like they tried to go for that, you know, where he would suddenly he's have the jagged teeth and the eyeball thing. But they, you know, they did the cutaway and there was no transition. It was just, you know, it was 90s TV editing um, sort of thing. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't, but I still enjoyed watching him do his thing regardless. Well, I think how many, how many people do you think actually read the book before seeing the miniseries back then? Who were involved in the 1990? Well, not, not, I mean like regular viewers. You mean how much of the public read the book? Yeah. How many of the, how many of the public saw, I mean, had actually read it. How, how much of the public reads period? Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, it's so hard to say, because, I mean, if you're talking in the subset of Stephen King fans, it's one of his most popular books. But if you're just talking general public, I mean, like Patrick said, how many people read books at all? Right. And I think that's maybe where this I don't say the the legend, but the trope of 
it being so scary back then was, was because there was a large percentage of people that had not read the book and did not know that they were jumping all over the place and did not know that stuff was going on without context because they hadn't and, read it. And there's just plenty of people out there that have a built-in fear of clowns. And if you make a scary-ass clown and it gets popular, guess what? That's going to be the face of scary clowns forever. Yeah, that's and, fair. Came out in 1986, so... the the reading public had four years to familiarize themselves prior to the film. Well, I mean, but then that's 1986 and in Stephen King years, that's like 18 books. And, and Stephen, you know, Stephen King is so popular that people would show up just be, you know, to see a Stephen King movie just because they know it's good. You know, it's one of those stamp of approval things, you know, they're not always going to be good, but you know, it's always going to gonna make an attempt at being scary, you know? Right. Right. You know what you're getting into, basically. Yeah. There's a certain tone and uh, storytelling style to his books that are at least in the movies that uh, is consistent. No matter who's directing him, you still can tell it's got a Stephen King feel to it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, it's like this is creepy, but it's going to get a lot weirder before it gets any better. (laughs) Let's get weird. And that's like there's they got Stephen King sitting on the sidelines where they're filming it and they're like, Does that look good, Steve? I don't know. Did I write this? <laughs> <laughs> that must have been high at the time. I'm still tripping out. Um but yeah, so Josh, you I think you would be the go to guy for all things Stephen King in this group. So do you think this is a at least attempted respect to the book, or do you think it's a full on travesty? Oh. <sighs> I, you know, I, I'm leaning towards full-on travesty. Uh, they, they obviously tried to make something out of the book. Uh, they hit a lot of the familiar plot points, including some things that I might consider important that the remake left out. Mm. But some of the decisions were just baffling. I mean, one of the key things about Eddie's mother is that she's this overweight massive woman who controls him psychologically by making him believe that he's sick when he's really not and in the 1990 myra capsbrack looks like nancy reagan yeah. and they completely lost the point of her character to the point where it's like if you're going to wreck her character that much just cut her yeah exactly i mean it's and well i mean we talk about them in the the now for later but and there, of course, there is oh. also the scene, the the scene. Oh, you're oh. talking. Well, yeah, that that is another one of those. What, I mean, because it's one of the things I remember because I had read a lot of Stephen King when I was in high school, read read it. And I thought, oh, it is coming out. It's going to be a miniseries. And it it was kind of the same. They're really they're making it into a miniseries. Do tell. I'm curious how they're going to maneuver around some situations. <laughs> but they, they did a hell of a job marketing it because I remember it was, you know, you saw it everywhere. They're advertising for it. Oh yeah, but there, but there is a scene where all the guy, all the guys have sex with the girl, with the girl, in before they go into fight it when they're kids. Oh, uh, it's actually after. Is it after? Okay. Yes, so uh, they're after. lost in the sewers, and uh, I honestly think that uh, removing that uh, is a smart decision, not just because it's unfilmable. It's also the weakest part of the book. They had a little gangbang. Yes. Well, it was one at a time. It wasn't an, yeah, was, that doesn't make it sound much better. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. a bang bang. It was a train. <laughs> I mean, essentially, that's what they did. Wow. Uh, that's weird. Because I mean, part what? of it was that uh, 
they were trying to make a he was trying to make a point about how her sexuality and her father's frustration with it is the source of her fear and she's taking power over it because she did in a very real way love every one of those guys but the decision to include that in the book it doesn't matter where it comes from it's too far it's it's creepy it's you like I, even though I can explain why it's there, I can't justify it. Mm-hmm. Like I get what they were trying to do in terms of, of finishing off her character and allowing her to kind of make the transition, the bridge from being a child whose entire existence is around her father's fear of her sexuality and her claiming that for herself to make the bridge into adulthood. Like, I get that's what it's supposed to be. It's still not a scene I approve of. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, especially considering they're all between, like, 11 and 13 in the book. Which doesn't make things better. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, want to take a break and pack and go shower off and... Uh, Trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, um, one last thing. Richard Mauser's character, uh, Stanley... Yes. Uh, does he did he off himself in the book too? Oh yeah. Yeah. Some of the covers of the book are the bathtub. That's that's kind of a big big deal and they shied away from it in both it, it was interesting the coke bottle ritual where they're cut uh, where the palms are cut. Mm. It's actually Stan in the book that has the piece of broken glass and who has them all do that. And they completely cut the blood ritual from the miniseries entirely. And I kind of get it's a made for TV movie. Kids cutting their hands and having a blood ritual. I get it. Mm. But it's another one of those things. If you miss that, the significance of him slashing his wrist so he doesn't have to go back. It's kind of lost. Well, and it also kind of emphasizes the point that this is a solemn oath that, that they're holding very, very dear and they're um, putting a lot of stock in it. It's not just like, Oh, we were kids. We just made something silly. You know, we, uh, that's nothing important, but if there's blood drawn, yeah, I can see where that would emphasize it more. Well, well, I, th- I think the suicide itself spoke enough that I don't think it necessarily needed to be in the storyline tied into them cutting their hands. I mean, it was pretty strong enough on its own. I, I guess so. But I mean, Stan Uris especially is treated so paper thin in the 1990 version that, uh, if they had to make up this entire secondary characterization of him being a boy scout, which is not in the book just to have him have anything to do. So the, the f- fact that they kind of removed some of the links that, Almost, you could say, I should have seen that coming. Even though in the book, it's kind of out of sequence. Uh, his, uh, the uh, adult story doesn't happen after the kid's story. The time goes kind of flashing back and forth. As their memories come back, we see what happened to them as kids. So actually, his suicide is one of the first events in the book. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. But... Yeah, I, I, I overall, I, I kind of felt like there was a lot of stuff, especially from the time they were kids, where they rushed through it. There were only like 
five or six really big scenes with them all together. So kind of like the power of their relationship and how much time and how many different things they survived together were sort of glossed over in the rush to get through it in three hours, in my opinion. Yeah. Should have made it a six part miniseries. Or, I mean, even though it breaks up the flow, like the flow of the miniseries is much more like the book, but you break it into two stories, the then and the now. Speaking of which. That's a pretty good bridge, uh, bridge for the break. Yeah, so we've yeah. talked about the then, and uh, when we come back, we'll talk about the now. Right. This year's It. Yeah, still in theaters. Dum-dum-dum. <laughs> I don't know why that's thrilling or mysterious. Beep-beep, Mike. Aww. <laughs> All right, we're back talking about it 2017 a mere three weeks old if you don't want to hear anything about the movie if you haven't seen it yet turn it off now good yeah i was i'm gonna guess they probably skipped this episode if they did. yeah. didn't want spoilers for this one so this one is directed by andy machete 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 yes yeah machete machete known for other sh- movies such as mama and machete don't text <laughs> and Historia Breves 3 and Lock and Key the TV series which is currently in pre-production and I am excited about indeed yes the world needs more TV series based off Cthulhu based comic books Cthulhu-ish I guess uh, speaking right in- of being excited about things that are coming up um, I saw I actually went to the theater to see this and I saw a preview for Murder on the Orient Express and I'm very hyped for that yeah that looks good. Too. We need to do a show on that. You saw he's directing it there, right? Ah, uh, he's mostly got things worked out. <laughs> he, he's figured things out in the last 25, 30 years. After all the hate that he got last week, I'm like, eh. I know, right? All right no, I so. didn't see who's directing it. Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did actually realize that. But like we said, you know, he's worked out all those kinks. Mm-hmm. Well, no. I think he got all the demons exercises during Frankenstein. Yeah. So when, when he got all the reviews in and everything, and he read what everybody said, he's like, okay, fine. Are you done? Anyway, I'm done. Okay. Moving on. Writing by Chase Palmer, Kerry Fukunaga. And- yeah, Kerry Fukunaga is like one of the hot writers right now. He was uh, executive producer for the uh, first two seasons of True Detective on HBO. Oh, yeah, he's a, oh yeah, yeah, wow, a lot of The Alienist, which is going going on right now, is one of his projects. The Alienist. Yeah, dude can write. Very cool. Oh, turn of the century serial killer hunting movie. Oh, that sounds good. And uh, Gary Daubrin, known for Annabelle, Annabelle Creation, The Nun. Basically, a lot of movies that fit right in with this. Annabelle was the haunted doll movie, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The spinoff from The Conjuring. I've never seen either one. Well, Joel hates it, but... uh, I, I at least liked The Conjuring. I, I don't know about Annabelle. Didn't, didn't go any further. I've heard good things about the sequel, the the second one they did of Annabelle 2, but I that whole James Wan spinoff universe things, Insidious, Conjuring, etc. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Like yeah, we've talked about that before. Yeah. 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 All right. So this stars a one Jaden Lieberher as Bill Denbarrow. 
Nice. Jeremy Ray Taylor as Ben Hascomb, the damaged sponge. Sophia Lillis as Beverly Marsh. Finn Wolfhard as Richie Tozer. Yeah, Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things. Yeah. Uh, Chosen Jacobs as Mike Hanlon. Jack Dylan Grazier as Eddie Kasprak. Wyatt Olaf as Stanley Uris. Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise. And Nicholas Hamilton as a much more frightening Henry Bowers. Yeah, in general, like, talk about stepping up the child acting game. Oh, yeah. Oh, my I'm gosh, yes. I'm very impressed with all the characters in this one. All the, all the the kids were fantastic in this. There was a solid performance by all of them. But uh, some trivia. This is kind of weird. It was in there. 27 is a number that often becomes associated with this story. The film was released 27 years after the original 1990 television miniseries. In the book, it is mentioned that it returns to Derry every 27 years. Jonathan Brandis, who played a young Bill in the original film, died at 27 years old. The movie is released one month after Bill Bill Skarsgård's 27th birthday, and the official U.S. release date is 9-8-2017. 9 plus 8 plus 2 plus 0 plus 1 plus 7 is 27. That last one is a reach. <laughs> I know. No, it's four plus one plus one. Plus I know. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> it's still cool, though. The point is yeah, there's one bullet left in this one, gun, one, and two. someone's going to get it. <laughs> I love that movie. They're, they're, they're playing that at one of the local theaters out here this month. Nice. Yeah. So uh, though, although Bill Skarsgård was on set for a majority of the production, he didn't actually begin filming his scenes until more than half of shooting was complete. The time before he actually started filming was spent working with Andres Muschietti and the producers in order to perfect his mannerisms as Pennywise. As Skarsgård stated, he felt an immense amount of pressure to play the role perfectly due to the Kim, Tim Curry's well-regarded performance in It of 1990. Yeah, it was better regarded by people other than us. Right. But, you know, I, I give him a lot of credit for wanting to step up his game because he knew that he had big shoes to fill because sometimes... You know, people step into characters and they just kind of are like, eh. Yeah. And other people take it very seriously. And the, the results are much better when they when they step up their game. Oh, yeah. And I think he crushed it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that. So uh, Ant, director Andy Machete and kept Bill Skarsgård separate from the child actors up until they had to shoot scenes together. On the day of their first scene, the production staff warned the kids that how scary Skarsgård could be while he's in characters, Pennywise. The kids were like, yeah, no big. We got this. <laughs> we know he's, I, hey, I was in Stranger Things, dude. I got this. No big deal. They're professionals. We're fine. However, uh, when time came for Skarsgård to be Pennywise for the scene, the kids flipped their shit. In fact, that <laughs> scene is actually in the movie, and it is the scene in the, in, the, um, in the garage. Nice. That's the first time they see him, and he scared the living shit out of them and me. And that doesn't happen often with horror movies. With me. <laughs> <laughs> it was so. Uh, the other person that was uh, on on the bill to be Pennywise was Hugo Weaving. Uh, they were the two finalists for Pennywise after Will Poulter left the project. Skarsgård eventually got the role, reportedly due to his ability to play a more fun and childlike Pennywise which brings up questions in his own right. Uh, in addition to the creepy Pennywise, while Weaving reportedly fell short on playfulness and could only be creepy, which I completely understand that. Oh, yeah. I, I just looked up this Will Poulter guy. I've never heard of him. Yeah, Will Poulter guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd never heard of him before. And uh, he looks like a bully in a movie. Like, you know, like the kid in the movie that would like push the kid with the glasses down. 
and steal his lunch money. Hmm. I don't think I would have bought it. I, I, he looks familiar. Like I've seen him in something. Uh, he's got a decent resume, but I can't think of where I've seen him before. Anyway, that's a, was he nothing. originally cast as Pennywise? Yeah, I think he had to drop out for some reason. Interesting. Uh, I'm glad that that happened. Sorry for him, but. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is uh, quite an accomplishment. And uh, well, well, let's let's start with some of the changes, because this, uh, instead of being set in the 50s in the book and the 60s in the uh, miniseries, this is set in the 1980s with presumably the sequel, uh, since it has been greenlit, it's going to happen, yep. with the adults happening today. Yes. Uh, one, I think it was a great idea because of two reasons. One, I could see the 60s working for 1990s because people that are going to be up late watching that are being like, oh, yeah, I remember the bully when I was a kid. He was like that, too. He kicked over my damn all the time. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, that was one of the consequences is there were a few scenes that were in the book that are just like, yeah, kids in the 80s wouldn't have done this. Right. And I think it's a great transition to us, the ones who read the book. And it's it's just like it's a Stranger Things uh, formula. You make a great point because I was only a little older than the kids in it when I first read it. And that would have been in the 1980s. And now I'm the age that the adults would be yeah it's a it's a smart choice to uh to play to your audience basically yeah yeah and that's and that was smart because you here's the thing if they did it in the 60s i don't think they would have had as much levity as it does to the people that are watching it now because how would it would have felt more like stand by me right how are you going to connect with these with these kids if they're acting like they're in the 1960s you know, how is the how are the audiences of right now going to you, you can't it's going to be a, a period piece then it's not going to be something that you're going to get emotionally involved in and remembering part of your youth in this and eventually, you know, I'm sure everybody at one point or another in watching this movie identified with one of the loser, the uh, the losers and carried their story with them. If it was not for me, sure, man. not yeah. me. No, not you. Not you. You're not. I'm a winner, man. Yeah. Dude, but, you're Ben Hanscom. <laughs> no he's not <laughs> uh, when he was a little kid he was tubby didn't have any friends liked oh, books i was yeah. never tubby <laughs> well the, the difference is he's not a successful architect now oh <laughs> that's harsh You're um mean. i do have I, to say ben when i said damage sponge earlier okay so first off ben gets a letter h carved into his stomach yeah, early on in the movie. And it's not just like, oh, it's like Joel's, you know, suicidal paper cuts. He really got <laughs> gouged. Yeah, that it. was one of the things they backed off on in the 1990. And it is just as horrifying in uh, the film as it was in the book. Oh, yeah. just nailed that scene. Yeah, it was, yeah it, that kid is obviously just a psycho. Yeah, right. To the point where he's scaring his bully friends, right, but they exactly. don't dare yeah. tell him no because he's got a fucking knife. Right. The, the one kid was like, uh, "Dude, are you really gonna cut him?" <laughs> yeah. This has gone a little weird, dude. Um, but he, the thing is, he gets he gets cut with the H. Has enough strength to kick him away, rolls backwards down the hill, and takes off. And then later on, he's he's not like limping or anything. he's just kind of like, all right, cool. You guys fix it up for me. Later on, he gets clawed by Pennywise 
and he is in and he's like in the streets like this ain't no thing it's cool. right <laughs> you think that all you got this guy's bleeding yeah. kids are made of nerf yeah <laughs> he's like i've been training for this all year eating twig case can't be careful on a skateboard mister exactly but no henry bowers in this one i think was a much more threatening character than in the original i mean this this almost had two villains with henry bowers being you know this psychotic kid that three if you count his bullet (laughs) and his forehead yeah i mean i i think that a lot of the changes they made were intelligent ones where they said we can film this and have it not look silly and have it be scary but we can't film this and have it not look ridiculous Mm -hmm. uh giant birds very difficult to do and not have people cracking up uh creepy ass paintings in my dad's office oh fuck that yeah that was <laughs> when that thing came running out i was like oh shit <laughs> not in the book smart choice mm-hmm. now see that was one of the things that took me out of the film more than anything uh was the cgi there was a little too much um graphics going on that character especially and the scene in the garage kind of lost me a little bit when he was a giant, but really, it's a minor complaint. Not. Yeah. I would have called those highlights personally. I yeah. thought the garage scene was well done at least. The garage scene was fantastic. And the, the, the painting was just, yeah, you didn't like the painting scene. Huh? No, didn't no. like the painting scene that for some huh. reason. I liked it much less when the, she's sucking on his face at the end. Yeah, right. Oh, oh man. man, that was. <laughs> Which will explain. I mean, spoilers. I was all like, "Well, that kid's a goner." Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, he's well, gone. But at the same time, you're like, uh, it gives more explanation to when part two comes out and he kills himself because no, oh, we're gonna go back in and we're gonna go fight this thing. Hey, yeah, uh, what are we gonna fight? Remember that thing that tried to eat your face? Yeah, literally. <laughs> we're gonna go back in there. So plus he freaked out because you guys left me. Right. And that was an interesting choice. They they kind of backed off on uh, some of Henry's friends. Uh, there are weird things that were in the 1991 that were in the book that were a lot closer. And in general, I think the changes were good. I, I do have some sticking points, but I, I let's most of them have to do with the ending. So I'll talk about when we get there. Let's first talk about how fucking good was Skarsgård. Oh, he he was really good. That's I, and like I said. That's I I like watching horror movies too, and it takes a good horror movie to. I went and saw this alone, and I'm Me grateful. Too. Yeah, I'm I grateful. Saw, I saw it at eleven o'clock at night alone. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I went and saw it with somebody, and um, she's not a, a horror movie fan, and uh, uh, seeing it with someone who is not well-versed in horror and not kind of jaded to it, it, it made it that much more enjoyable for me because, you know, she jumped at all the appropriate points and <laughs> halfway through the movie, she's like, I, I hate to say this, but I really want to leave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she didn't, but she was very uncomfortable. And that opening scene with Pennywise in the um, storm drain was I, I mean, there's there's quite a few movies like that where the opening scene is is sometimes better than the entire film, and that set the tone for the entire thing. And I could just watch that five minute or however long it was clip of him 
talking to Richie, <clears throat> I'm Georgie. sorry, Georgie, Georgie. Yeah. over and over again because that was, was just brilliant. Yeah, it was so. I mean, he was his delivery and cadence and like when when he would like just kind of freeze for like five or ten seconds and then suddenly like get snapped back in, you know, and it was so creepy. And his yeah. eye. Big ups for Jackson Robert Scott, the young actor who played Georgie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we didn't even – he didn't make the cut in where we cut off the cast. Ah, I see but, what you did there. But the uh, Georgie-Bill relationship in this one was also way closer than it was in the 1990. Yeah, it was It was like two young child actors trying to out in each other is what it felt like. In well, the plus, in the first one, Bill was actually kind of shitty to Georgie, and that's not their relationship in the book. This, the one in this movie, was. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and and you look at um, back to Pennywise for a moment. You look at uh, Curry's bit in the sewer. If if any streetwise savvy kid is going to catch on that this guy's up to no good with the way he would kind of say the things he was saying, with the modern take on it it's no wonder the kid eventually went to try and take his boat because he was, he was, uh, you know, half the time very, you know, like I wanted to go say, Hey, let's go down and see what's going on in the sewer. It sounds like a lot of fun. But, uh, other times you're like, I don't know about this guy, but he was just charismatic enough to lure him in. Um, and it was believable. It wasn't forced in any way. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, what and you can almost like feel the tension in his performance of how, trying to keep it together as Pennywise, you know, while he's like, got this whole, like, you know, I've got this kid on the string and then, you know, it's, it's like watching a fisherman trying to reel in a fish when he thinks he's going to get away. And he did a very good job of conveying that, like that whole, like, like oh, I almost have him. I'm getting so excited, but I got to keep my shit together. And, you know, it, it was just a, an amazing performance, especially like you said, in that opening scene. And did you know, uh, Skarsgård actually has a wandering eye? So while he was doing that, oh, he wasn't acting that. He wasn't. That was not an effect. His eye was actually wandering off, and they were just kind of, you know what? Just let that go. Yeah, <laughs> he's got creepy. weird eyes. He's like, take that one for a walk. Why yeah, don't just you? just let let that one. And, and and when he would correct it, and you can tell when he would be like, oh, it got away from me that time. You know. Um, and it, it would, yeah, just that opening that first scene just set the tone for his whole character. Well, and the lip thing apparently is something he and his brother, his brother used to do it to him to scare him. And he learned how to do it to the point where he would scare his brother by doing the lip thing where he kind of has this weird jetting out lower lip. Nice. It's a and, weird... and the drooling and shit. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. that, and that was like part of that. Like Joel was just saying about how Pennywise is trying to keep his shit together because he knows he's about to catch one. And he's like drooling because he knows he's going to get in a good old fleshy kid arm in a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was it, it, it. He is one of the horror characters that I'm going to be like in. It's classic. You know, he's I think personally, he's taken the character away from Tim Curry. Oh, for sure. Uh, that was uh, I, I don't even think it's uh, a close or fair comparison. Uh, if and, people and have... they, they did a, a damn good job in the filming of it. The, the whole like whenever he would go in like a fugue state kind of thing and really just completely, you know, energy psycho it up, how they would just focus the camera on his head and everything else would move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that well, was a what, brilliant stylistic choice. Oh, yeah. And, and I kind of think that if people aren't just looking back at the original miniseries through rose colored glasses, 
it's really difficult to compare them and uh, just not be utterly blown away by Skarsgård. Okay, question for you then, Josh, Mr. I've read the book. So which characterization is closer or did they write the character for the film different than it was portrayed in the book or it was how it was described? I would say that he is definitely way, way closer, especially like uh, even his iconic costume. They made the baffling choice in the miniseries to give him this weird uh, stock bozo, the clown suit, where he specifically had this white silver suit with black trim and orange pom poms, which is Bill Skarsgård's costume. And and very antiquated looking too, not like a modern day clown. Right. Yeah. yeah, very Which is way closer. Which would be, you know, hundreds of, not thousands of years old. Um, now, it's something that I hear people complaining about a lot on message boards and things <laughs> is uh, that, you know, they're, they're like, oh, no, it's another remake of why would they remake this classic? And in my mind, it's not so much a remake of the original. It's just another retelling of the book. And I, I wondered if that was true if i'm if i'm thinking correctly with this i think you're right and i think once again like people who are convinced it was a classic maybe their standards for horror movies are like even if i hadn't read the book i don't think i would have liked the 1991 very no i mean it's like well like we were joking around before the show hey here's he turned into a giant spider let's all run in there and knock him over right (laughs) and take and take his spleen that's all we had to do to defeat this generations of evil just, did no Just one ever think of knocking him over? Kick him to death. <laughs> right. John Ritter is a ninja, actually. It's <laughs> Ooh, I would watch that. Yeah, treat and like they, on the tree like they treat thieves in in middle of Africa. Just beat him with sticks and rods. Yeah. Honestly, they backed off on some of the stuff from the book that wouldn't have played as well on the screen, like each of the kids kind of having their special talismanic totemic power which they played with a little bit in the 1990 with uh, Eddie and his battery acid. Mm. But it's hard to shoot that and have it not come off corny. Right. And, and like, like I've imbued magic into all these things. Like we're from Narnia. Right. Where Richie's doing voices and it makes the creature recoil that can play in a novel. It's going to look stupid on screen. Mm-hmm. Well, and then I have to say in the, in the first one, when Richie was doing voices, I recoiled too. So I can totally get where <laughs> he was coming from. Yeah. I remember father Christmas gave them all magic weapons and then they, went. Oh, and the name of that father Christmas, Patrick Whaley, Albert Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> no, I played father Christmas in, in Lion, the witch in the wardrobe. Oh, party. that's right. You did. Oh shit. That's messed up. Um, <laughs> Anyway, it. No, I'd rather talk about Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. (laughs) Um, Now, as much as I liked it, and uh, this is going to give up that this this is my thumbs up for sure. This is not perfect. No. There are a couple of big, big missteps where I I see this as a well-crafted, like, crystal surface with a couple of big scratches marring it. How so? Uh, one of them are, is the treatment of Mike Hanlon. There's there's a couple things. They they barely gave him anything to do. They, they put a couple extra scenes with the bolt gun in there and had him tackle Henry at the end just to give him a point to be in the movie at all because he was in the book. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was a trying to avoid controversy 
and inadvertently being more offensive by the fact that they danced around the fact that Henry Bauer's hatred for Mike was due to his race. They kind of touched on it with the stay out of my town comment in the very beginning. Right. But But like when they're all like, oh, it's that homeschool kid. It's like, I get it. This is the 80s versus the 50s. But that said, I almost think that it was more offensive that they were dancing around the issues of race where like pretending racism wasn't a thing in the 1980s or isn't a thing now. Right. So that, that, but that's, that's secondary. In the age, you can't have a young white actor thrown around the N word because you're going to destroy his career. Well, and I, I even giving it, it it's a, it's uh, probably a situation with two wrong answers and maybe they chose the best of the two wrong answers, but uh, that's not my biggest problem with this. Well, and he did feel very underdeveloped as, as I was watching the movie, I kept going, thinking to myself, when are we going to get more of, his story or his time um because everybody else seemed to be more well developed and and well and they gave some of his characterization to ben well correct me if i'm wrong though i mean doesn't he play a much bigger role in the adult side and maybe you know it's just was tough to flesh him out for the child side well i mean the problem is is i think they had trouble differentiating him and ben because uh, in general, Ben was the genius in telling the kids how stuff worked. But since they had to cut the damn scene, uh, Ben's whole thing is he was this, uh, awesome at just like he doesn't know how it works. He just tells the kids how to build it and it works. And they also had to cut a uh, scene of them digging out a clubhouse in the Barrens because that's something you do in the 50s, not in the 80s. So all of a sudden, Ben's big role in the group of friends is missing and they shuffle all of Mike's town historian stuff onto Ben. Oh, which is sort of awkward because it leaves Mike without a whole lot to do. So they, they tried to find another role for him and I don't think they were entirely successful. But like I said, these are things that are minor problems. It's stuff that bugged me, but the biggest scratch on the surface of the orb is how well they treated Beverly until the last 20 minutes of the movie. She was floating for like 10 of those minutes. Yeah. They fucking damseled her. They took her from being one of the most important uh, of the entire losers gang in actually defeating uh, it while they're kids and made her a damsel in distress. That was the reason for the male characters to rush off and save her. And that's a great disrespect to the character, which is crazy because her performance was awesome and otherwise her portrayal was great it wasn't like a boys are great girls are terrible thing it it just still makes her the victim right and uh it it was i I couldn't believe they did that especially when she she snaps out of it she snaps out of it because a boy kisses her great that's that's new and interesting and when she does snap out of it she's no more important than anybody else in defeating Pennywise and she's less important than Richie and Bill. Well, and that's interesting because typically in, in horror films, the, the female, you know, the, the final girl is, is almost a staple. It's almost unexpected. So that's an interesting. Uh, Maybe they were trying twist. to turn the trope on its side. Well, I think some of it was that kids, even in the eighties didn't use slingshots where kids in the fifties did. 
But so, I mean, like, like maybe I, I'm being serious. Maybe they were trying to turn that trope on its side, and they didn't realize how much that just fucked her character up. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because she was, I mean, for her age, was just incredible. I mean, yeah, she as really far was. As acting goes, so it's not like she couldn't handle Very it. Good. Yeah, I, I liked the characterization of her character. I didn't like what they did with her character at the end. Yeah, I can agree with that. Hmm. And. This Have is, we lost Mike? No, Mike's still here. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mike's listening. I, I, I thought it was interesting that uh, Bill on this one, his stutter was almost there the entire time, but in the uh, the, the original, uh, because it, it was a worse went. actor. That's why. And well, they explained it, but it wasn't a good explanation. Well, and what I liked about this one with his with the stutter is when he was nervous, when he was panicking, he would start to recite that poem. Yeah. You know, that yeah, was his, that was like he thrusts his, his fist against the post and, and swears he sees the ghosts that yeah. he, that was almost like his, his mantra, you know, not mantra. What, what's the word I'm thinking of? Oh, like his talisman. Yeah. And that's yeah. kind of what it was where he could actually shout that without stuttering and it staggered the creature. Yeah. No, it's so just, now just, Oh, oh sorry. No, I'm just saying that I think his character was a lot stronger in this one. Then, well, I mean, all the characters were, I mean, were a lot strong just because of the writing to begin with. But uh, in this one, I think the each of the characters had a a definite part. I mean, Mike, you know, he was a homeschool kid, which I'm going to say, hey, homeschool kid shows up packing. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but all of them, I mean, I, I, I said it before that with this, that the for kid actors then and now is completely night and day. Yeah, no contest. Well, you can't. I mean, I, you can't even really say that because Stand by Me was filmed not too far after the first uh, it, and those kids were great. Well, not kid actors in general. I think he was talking about these child actors. It's not that they there was no such thing as a good child actor in the eighties and nineties. <laughs> well, I, no, I'm not saying. Yeah, well, I I I am, and I'm not saying that. I am saying that the child actors in the original it were pretty terrible. They were ham. Yes. They were hammy. They were terrible. You know, they were not good child actors. There were good child actors back then. You say Stand by Me. All those guys in Stand by Me grew up to be become fantastic <laughs> adult actors. Name one of the, what one of the kids from that show is doing now. You, know, you can say, Oh yeah, I I remember watching him back when he was he played you know Bowers and It. You know, nobody has said, Hey, I'm the kid from the it the it show and their the it TV show and they're they're still doing anything useful. Well, aside from Seth, well, yeah, like exactly, I said, useful. He's probably the most successful of all that cast. And Absolutely. How, how do you? Yeah, I mean, and, and I do think that you're right. We're going to be hearing some things in the future as they grow up from Finn Wolfhard, from Jaden Lieberer, uh, probably even from Jeremy Ray Taylor, and it'll be a crime if we don't see Sophia Lillis and other stuff. Because she was awesome as Beverly Marsh, regardless of what the script did to her character. She was fantastic. She and reminds so, me of uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah, for sure. I have to ask, because uh, this came up and I was waiting till the show to, to talk about it. But, um, of course, since the movie has become so popular and there's uh, GIFs and there's uh, whole websites dedicated to Pennywise's dance. I wanted to ask and you can post them in all kinds of chats before people see movies and stuff. <laughs> I wondered what you meant, Josh, when you said it robbed it of its power when 
all the people had posted all the the dance memes for that scene. I think. Yeah, but, if, I mean, I will honestly say, if I hadn't seen that beforehand and known it was coming, it probably would have had a little more pop. It was still pretty cool. I'm, yeah, I'm like, I mean, without the buildup and without the music and without everything else you've seen of Pennywise up to that point, his dance out of context just looks silly. I mean, how much depth can you get in a GIF? You know, I mean, but it's I do agree with it. it that scene was a a culmination of terror for her. You know, just little by little with the little the little wind up box starting in the very which honestly I hate those things to begin with. But you know, it's it little by little just slowly terrorizing her and getting her more and more scared so he can finally come in and see the deadlights. Well, I mean, that's what he's, he's it's like plumping up a, a chicken for us. You know, it's like he's building up the fear for him to make him more tasty. Yeah. And it was a weird choice uh, that they decided that the reason why they were all immune to it is because they weren't afraid. Georgie wasn't afraid of Pennywise. No, you're right. So I and that's one deviation they made from the book and maybe didn't think it all the way through. Is that they're like, okay, it's too much to get into. Uh, there's something else guiding them, something else helping them that is kind of making their choices for them. And they're powerful because they're a circle of seven that is unbroken. And uh, they lost that in the movie because they broke the circle right before the end. And uh, they're like, okay, well, if we're breaking that, we're going to go with this Pennywise uh can't be affected by anyone who's not afraid of him. Only they explicitly show that's not true at the beginning of the movie. Well, and something else that I thought they did well in this, that uh, they did a little bit in the original take on it, but not so much was the fact that uh, the fact that he was a clown was just a guy's, you know, he was taking other forms to get that fear response, like the painting or, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other examples, but it was almost like Pennywise was just his primary form, but he could take other shapes to elicit that fear response. And I thought that was an interesting thing that I wasn't expecting. I didn't, I knew nothing about it when I walked into it. So it was all new to me, but for sure. And yeah, it's hard to say from the book when he first started taking the form of the clown, because he had been there for millions of years Mm -hmm. Uh, beneath dairy in the ice. Uh, glaciers came over, geology happened and buried him and waited for people to show up. But for at least 200 years, he'd been appearing as a clown in Derry. And why does anybody live there when <laughs> 27 years, you know, everybody goes missing? It's like, I think they touched on this in the 1990 and are probably going to hit it hard with the sequel. There's something weird about Derry where seven kids. Town is it. Yeah. yeah, the whole town is part of it. And it's just like, Bad things happen in Derry, and that's just a fact of life. Like, gravity makes things go to the ground. It's, uh, it's they the, talk about it in the book. Like, if there's nine child murders in any city in the United States that isn't Derry, uh, it's national news. Nine murders happen in a week in Derry, and there's an article in the paper about it. But otherwise, nothing. It's because of the, the coal or the smelting plant. It affects the whole, you know, the smoke and all that and affects the derriere. <laughs> uh, I see what you did there. Joel only laughed at that. That makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Well, Harry Anderson made the same joke. Did he? Yes. Yeah, he did. Fuck, Smell I that phased air. out again. Man, I guess I have to get more sleep. Or drink. <laughs> sleep Let's more face it, drink Mike. Less. You're Richie. Am I? <laughs> I think you're Richie. <laughs> Whoa. What was that? I thought Joel would be Richie. Me? Bad jokes all the time. Uh, Joel is Georgie. <laughs> Joel is Georgie. <laughs> I've gone already. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, look at this clown. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Joel, you're only in the opening. <laughs> we all float. We all float. Yeah, I, I mean, I am probably also a Ben. <laughs> ben, I like Ben in this one. Oh yeah, just a, a great character. It was just uh, such a shame that Ben being so awesome cost Mike half his character. Yeah. I also have to say that if I'm a kid and I'm sitting in the library and I see a balloon float through the room, uh, literally at, at eye level, <laughs> yeah, like, yep, um, enough library for today. I'm gone. Yeah, I'm not going to wander down into the stacks to get chased by a headless keep child. keep following all the strange eggs that have appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. That are still sizzling. That yeah, is, that is no. one thing that I, I do have an issue with in some movies. People where, in horror movies always make bad decisions. Exactly. You know, floating balloons is right talking. there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still alive, damn it! Yeah, he ran a horror movie either. Well, I would d- disagree with yeah, that. He, he ran. He ran <laughs> away from Jason uh, years I, ago. And the Jason question did. is made is answered explicitly in the book. But I'll ask for the movie. Do you think he was entirely in control of his actions, or was he under the dream lights or whatever they call them? Well, it was more like something Deadly. is making him get closer, even though he knows it's a bad idea. So I'm saying like, like the, the, one of the, the deadlines. Dead yeah. Them. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe. Like, yeah. Eddie Capsprack does not get close to a leper with everything his mother has told him about disease unless something's making him. Right. Though that leper came out of nowhere and he was pretty fucking freaky too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, talk about something. I was surprised mm-hmm. to see how uh, straight out of the pages they, they did the makeup. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's exactly how I was described. Oh, yeah, with the disease having taken his nose, and it's gotten to the point where it's a caricature. He looks worse than any actual leper would actually look. He's like the uh, what a leper looks like in the mind of a child who is obsessed with disease. And then Pennywise came out of the cabinet or the refrigerator or whatever that was. Oh, oh that was awesome. That scene. And that he, was awesome. He actually worked with a uh, contortionist to do that. That wasn't an effect. He actually he actually fit himself in that fridge. Shut up. That You're he joking. worked with a contortionist to learn how to do that. You're joking. He could not twist himself around like that. It's I a- want to believe, but beep beep. <laughs> oh, fuck, I'm looking this shit up. How about the clown room? Did anybody everybody see Pennywise? Uh, oh yeah. Ninety Pennywise in the clown room. Yeah. All right. Yeah, as soon as I saw all the like the drapes over things, I'm like, oh, well, this is not going to be good for him. This is going to be all clowns. <laughs> and it was. So overall, I mean, I I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I know I've had a lot of criticisms, but even for someone who just is like all about the book and who had a couple of major issues with it, I really liked this movie, and I would have a hard time imagining a better interpretation of it on the screen. The kids did a great job. I mean, the acting was much better, which is, I mean, sadly not saying a whole lot. But. 
So, uh, final thoughts? I hope they get Seth Green to play the adult, Richie. No. <laughs> yes, I do. No, I don't know not. that I could buy him as the adult version of the Richie we saw, though. Right. Well, all right, then. Just, just my feeling on it. Yeah, I am curious, though, who they're going to cast. That's the part I'm... I'm anxiously awaiting to see the cast list come out for the adults because I'm curious if they're going to get names or they're going to get kind of up and comers or new new. Yeah, I hope they get nobodies like they did here. I oh, mean, Finn Wolfhard was the only one that I really had seen in anything before of the kids, anyway. Right, him and uh, Bill Skarsgård are pretty much the only actors who I knew. So it'll be interesting to see how if they go that same route for this the the second chapter, which. I, I kind of agree. I kind of hope they do that. Let's see. So, final thoughts. Are we at that point? I think we are. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we've all made it pretty clear. You think Eddie's mother was better in this version? Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. So much better. Uh, I, and I hope they get into uh, one of the other big differences is that a lot of the uh, kids end up marrying their parents. If they married like Bill clearly marries an actress who looks a hell of a lot like Beverly did. But Eddie marries this massive woman who also uses tears as a weapon. Um, so I, I think them keeping uh, Sonia Capsbrack so they can do Myra in the sequel uh, closer to the book. Really, really great choice. Well, they made Eddie a virgin in the first one. They they did, and uh, it was a goofy. I, I guess they didn't want to delve into all that because even with uh, Beverly and Tom, like uh, Beverly fled Tom, and they had him beating her and her getting away, and then he completely dropped out of the story entirely. Where he's actually kind of a big part of the rest of the book. He was a giant douche in the first movie. <laughs> he's so much worse in the book. Oh Jesus! Like you don't even know. Yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up, thumbs down. As even though Joel said, I think we could just get it out. Yeah, <laughs> may, may so, as well to cross the uh, T's and dot the I's. Yeah, thumbs up, thumbs down for then. Should we all say it together? <laughs> Overwhelming thumbs down for me. Yeah, thumbs I down. Would, I would. I kind of go with the thumb, the half thumb, really, because I mean seen in the right light and everything, you know, I mean, obviously if you see it through the view of the remake, it's, it's not as good, but I mean, Tim Curry was plenty scary at the time. Oh yeah. Sure. But I mean, there was another two hours and 45 minutes that you had to sit through <laughs> yeah. actors who aren't Tim Curry and bad special effects. Right. I, yeah. I would have rather watched a, a mini series of just Tim Curry being Tim Curry and probably would have <laughs> freaked me out even more. I mean, there were parts of it that I enjoyed, and I I like Tim Curry as that character, but it wasn't it it, it just it it didn't work. Um, so it's 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 thumbs down for me on the original. Yeah, thumbs down on me also on that one. And I'm assuming four thumbs up on the new one. Can't wait to see the next one. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, e- even though uh, by our standards and by the rave reviews it's getting online, I kind of tore it apart. Uh, don't don't get me wrong. I loved this movie. This and is I'm what Josh does with movies, movies he likes. You I, I'm not going to pretend it was flawless. Yeah, no. it had its problems, but definitely a thumbs up. If nothing else, just for Skarsgård's performance. 
Man, that scene in the in the garage scared the crap out of me when he jumped out of that screen. Right. Oh yeah, another. I, great I did not update. anticipate that. That's for sure. Because like kids now, uh, maybe in the 1980s, kids had family photo albums, but you gotta also remember that we're telling it to audiences who live in 2017. Mm-hmm. So uh, the idea that it was a film strip uh, or a uh, Slide, uh, projector. Slide, slide projector probably connects better to someone who didn't grow up in the eighties. Uh, I, I thought it was a very strong choice. Yeah. Nice and freaky. All right. So Joel, what's happening next week? <laughs> We're going to camp crystal Lake. Finally. Yeah. So, uh, are we watching the first one, first one? I mean, which, what, what's our assignment for next week, Joel? We're watching the original 1980, uh, Sean S. Cunningham, uh, Friday the 13th, and yes. the 2009 remake starring Derek Mears. Nice. So. I'm looking forward to it. And if uh, you're looking forward to getting in contact with us, maybe you uh, loved the uh, first 1990 and insist that it is not being viewed through rose-colored uh, glasses and Tim Curry was a better uh, Pennywise than Skarsgård, you can call us. I can't guarantee you'll get on the air, but you can call us at uh, 708-NOW-RAP. <laughs> That's 708-669-9727. Yep, and again, if you're looking for our older stuff, iTunes, Stitcher, Google, Blueberry, we're all over the place. So, <laughs> <laughs> it looks like I don't even care. If anymore. you can't find us, you're not trying. Yeah, fortygo14.com. It's our home on the web. You can see all our stuff there. Stream it there. Stream it on your phone. Stream it on Saturdays your at noon on Geek Life Radio. We're yeah. still doing that, right? We are still doing that. That is still happening. That is a thing. Okay. So, all right, take us out, Pennywise Joel. Hey, babe. Wow, you take so many batteries. (laughs) (laughs) Got like 15 diesels up there.